0: Today is Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. And uh, we're going to take a look at that scripture passage. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit before we get into the scripture passage, because I want to talk about a couple different things that I had never really noticed before. This day has been described by Christians for generations as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And... um, The question that I want you to ask yourself is, if this was a triumphal entry, why then did they crucify Jesus just a week later? So here we have this thing we call the triumphal entry. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Everybody is uh, laying palm branches on the ground and crying, um, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. And then just less than a week later, they're crying, crucify So if this was such a glorious Sunday for all Christians, what went so wrong? What happened? Jesus would find himself betrayed by his own disciples. He was arrested by the high priest guards. He was accused by a coalition of religious leaders. He was tried by the Roman governor and sentenced to die the death of a common criminal, and that was death by crucifixion. So let's begin by looking at that procession into Jerusalem. Now, you might not know that Jesus' procession into Jerusalem wasn't the only procession into the city that day. There was another procession. There was two parades that were happening on the same day. On the other side of Jerusalem, there was another procession taking place, and it was the procession of Pontius Pilate. It is true. In the year 30 AD, Roman historians record that the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, led a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem on that same day. So imagine the spectacle of that army, right? From the western side of the city, the opposite side from which Jesus entered into, Pontius Pilate, led by these Roman soldiers on horseback and on foot, um, all decked out, each soldier clad in their leather armor, polished to a high gloss. Um, on each centurion's head, this hammered helmet with their plume on top. They gleam in the bright sunlight. At their sides, they have their swords uh, and their, their weapons. Um, some of them had bow and arrows, I'm sure. Um, spears, banners, all kinds of things and they were ready to let the people know who was in charge drummers beat out the cadence of the march because this was no ordinary entry into jerusalem this parade was for pilate the governor of the region which included not only judea and samaria but idumea as well so it was standard practice for the roman governor of a foreign territory to be in its capital city for any religious celebration. So if there's something going on, the Roman governor would need to be in the city for that. And this was the week that the Jews were celebrating Passover. And the people were coming in from all over, Judea, Samaria, all over the place. And just like the Super Bowl or any other huge event that's happening in your town or in a big city, extra security is shipped in, right? to make sure that things don't get out of hand. This happened whenever the Jews had a big festival, but especially the festival of Passover. Because if you remember, Passover, as you know, was a celebration of remembrance of their liberation from Egypt. It was all about freedom from oppression. Now, the Jews are being oppressed by the Romans, right? And so here they're celebrating a, a festival that is celebrating their, their freedom you know, from being oppressed. So just the sight of this mighty Roman procession of Pilate and his entourage up on their mighty war horses would have made the Jews' blood boil. It would remind them more than ever of the oppression that they lived under. Certain groups of of Jews, especially Zealots, were known to incite crowds, so they would stir them up and get them angry. Needless to say, it was a tense atmosphere during Passover. So anything could happen, and the Roman powers, under the command of Pontius Pilate, were going to make sure that nothing did happen, or else there would be blood. This was what they referred to as Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome. Some kind of peace, right? Uh, You will be peaceful as they're uh, pulling out their sword. This is the great decree of Caesar. Pax Romana, peace of Rome, keep the peace. Pilate and his military forces uh, always came in, we know, through the gate on the western side of the city. And if John will zoom in on that picture, you can see that I've circled the the area, the gate where they came in. And this is where the military powers and military leaders um, would come into the city. And uh, it was easy access for them. And Roman theology put military power and military leaders on such a pedestal as to elevate the experience of their triumphal entry into any religious event. So this was their triumphal entry. They were saying, we are in power. And they were on mighty war horses coming in to say that we are in control. When Roman military leaders and governors like Pilate would come into town, always mounted on a great white war horse, the people would spread blankets on the ground and they would shout, God save the emperor. Um, Or in Hebrew, Hosanna to the emperor. Trumpets would play, historians even tell us that they would spray expensive perfume into the streets so that the smell of victory, of power, and might was literally in the air. Isn't that interesting? And woe to anyone who would disrupt, disrupt that demonstration, um, that parade. Anybody who would, who would dare speak up out against them. They were in trouble. It would be like somebody disrupting the national anthem at a Super Bowl, right? Someone's in the middle of the Super Bowl and somebody runs out there while they're singing the national anthem and starts screaming into the microphone. So, not a good thing. Pilate's entry into Jerusalem was meant to send a very clear message to the Jews and to those who might be plotting against the empire of Rome. The spectacle was meant to remind the Jews of what had happened the last time the, the whites of a wide-scale uprising. They were taken over. And it was meant to intimidate the citizens of Jerusalem themselves, right? Who might think twice about joining such a rebellion as if it, were, um, it would be sure to fail. But as I said earlier, this was a day of two parades, two processions. So let's talk about what was happening on the other side of the city, this second procession that took place. And that is the procession of Jesus and his triumphal entry. So we're going to look at our scripture passage for the day. It's found in the book of Matthew. We're going to read Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As he approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, And on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on uh, on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, "'Hosanna to the Son of David!' Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So here we have another leader entering into Jerusalem through the opposite gate. And if John will zoom in there, we'll show you where the other gate is that Jesus entered into. Jesus entered Jerusalem through the eastern side of the city. He was coming in from Bethpage, where the Mount of Olives is located just east of Jerusalem. So the thing couldn't be, the the timing couldn't be more perfect than Jesus coming in. I have a feeling he worked it out that way, right? Jesus riding in through one gate as Pilate is riding in through another on the opposite side of Jerusalem. What a difference between the two processions. Jesus riding in on a donkey and Pilate riding in on a war horse. Yes, Jesus actually interrupted the national anthem. The Palm Sunday parade that we study and reflect on at the beginning of Holy Week is a political demonstration that really mocks all the trust that the Romans have in their system of war. It makes a mockery of Rome's peace by force, of their mighty horses, of their legions of troops, it's not pax or peace at all that Rome offers. It's peace through force, right? You will be peaceful. What a contrast between Rome's peace by force and Jesus' peaceful entry into Jerusalem. No wonder it says in verse 9 that the people were stirred up. I find that interesting. The Greek word here is uh, a, a scythe, which is where we get our word seismic, which relates, of course, to the earth shaking and quaking, Right? So they were stirred up, they were shaking. Jesus hadn't been stirred up, or Jerusalem had not been stirred up like this in the book of Matthew since the birth of Christ. The last time that it said that people were stirred up in this seismic way was at the birth of Christ. After Jesus was born and the wise men came to visit Herod, there's this curious line in Matthew's gospel that says this, Herod was shaken, stirred up, and all Jerusalem with him. But our Lord riding in on the back of a donkey certainly didn't give the appearance of him being a contender for Pilate, right? Here we have Pilate with his mighty war horses, sitting on a white stallion with soldiers surrounding him. And then we have Jesus. If you think about it kind of in a, in a boxing match type thing, you have like coming in from the west, riding in on a white stallion and surrounded by thousands of pounds of military might, we have Pontius the pious Pilate, right? Then, coming in from the east, riding on a lowly donkey and surrounded by palm branches and terrified people, we have gentle Jesus, meek and mild. (laughs) Let's get ready to rumble, right? It doesn't really seem like there's a competition there. If we're honest with ourselves, there's a part of us that wants to see Jesus be the great contender to the powers of this world, taking Pilate down with a divine TKO, right? Just knock him out. In fact, that's exactly what the Jews wanted Jesus to do. Knock him out, Jesus. Knock him off his war horse. But Jesus contends against something much, much greater and more powerful than an oppressive regime. Jesus contends against evil itself. Against sin. Against the devil and all his empty promises. Against hatred and violence. Against war and oppression against bigotry and ignorance, against selfishness and pride. Jesus, in his humble and yet powerful ride into town, mounted on a goofy donkey, is contending against death itself. The irony here is palpable, right? That Christ would take on powers much greater than Pilate and the authorities. Seated on a donkey, adorned later with thorns and lashings, and Friday hanging from a cross. If Pilate's procession was meant to show of military might and strength, Jesus' procession was meant to show exactly the opposite. Both Matthew and Mark, they record Jesus' own words as he instructs his disciples to go into the city and find a donkey tied up. They are to ask the owner if they may use the donkey, and they are to say that the Lord needs them. Then Jesus quotes from Zechariah, the ninth chapter. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt of a foal of a donkey. But there's more to that passage than just the description of how Jesus um, is going to enter Jerusalem, his means of transportation. The prophet Zechariah was speaking to the entire nation, and um, he reassures the people of Judah that God has not forgotten them. Listen to that whole passage. And this is what the people would have been thinking. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overturn my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus' quote from the prophet Zechariah reminded those who heard him of the entire passage. The message they heard was, God will deliver the nation from their oppressor. And in this case, it was Rome. But the king they seek will come to them humbly, not on the back of a war horse, but on a slow-moving donkey, the symbol of a king who comes in peace, according to Zechariah. So the two processions could not be more different in the message that they conveyed. Pilate leading Roman centurions, asserting the power and the might of the entire Roman empire, who will crush all those who will oppress him, and Jesus riding in on a young donkey, embodying the peace, the tranquility that God brings to his people. So those who watched that day would have had to make a choice, right? They would have had to choose to either serve the God of this world, might and power, Or they would have to choose to serve the king of a very different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God. Of course, his followers and all the others who got caught up in this triumphal entry into Jerusalem thought that they were choosing to follow Jesus. They were crying, Hosanna, save us. We're going to follow you. But by the end of the week, they would be disappointed when Jesus didn't live up to their expectations. And as a result, they would turn on him. Even those closest to Jesus, the 12 disciples, would either betray him outright or abandon him in their confusion and their fear. So let's talk about that turning, that turning on Jesus. It's interesting to note that the crowd on that Sunday proclaimed, Hosanna to the son of David. In other words, they were placing their faith in Jesus that he would restore the glory of the nation to its splendor when David and his son Solomon ruled a united kingdom. And that's what the Jews wanted, after all, to be ruled by a man like David, a man so committed to God that the Old Testament prophets had proclaimed that the coming Messiah would sit on the throne of his father, David. The Messiah would bring back the glory of Israel, This is what their hopes were. He would would rid the nation of all their oppressors. He would rule benevolently, and he would be kind to the common people. This was their hope. And Jesus had challenged the rulers of Judea already, not the Roman rulers, but the local rulers. He said to them that the temple was not the only way to find God's forgiveness. Imagine that. A man saying that the temple is not the only way to find forgiveness, and further, that the temple would be destroyed with no stone left on another. Of course, those who made their living from the temple, like the scribes, the chief priests, uh, the ruling council of Sanhedrin, um, the religious parties of Pharisees, the Sadducees, they would lose all their power and prestige. So you could see why they would be so upset. This is their livelihood. This is their whole life. And Jesus is saying, forgiveness doesn't have to happen just through the temple. So when Jesus miraculously saved the lame man by first saying, your sins are forgiven, and then he healed him, he challenged the authority of the whole temple system. Why did they go to the temple? To find forgiveness of sins, to make sacrifices. And Jesus is saying, I forgive your sins without you even going to the temple. And when Jesus drove the money changers from the temple, proclaiming that the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations, but the religious leaders had made it a den of thieves, Jesus exposed the complete corruption of the temple tax, the scandalous monetary exchange rate, and the dishonesty of those who sold animals for sacrifice. Jesus had disappointed and alienated very powerful people. He did so because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, most of the Levitical priests, and others who ruled on Rome's behalf were all a part of the same system of oppression and control that Pilate was a part of. So Jesus' entry into Jerusalem may or may not have been planned to occur on the same day as Pilate's procession. I think it was. Um, But whatever, whether it was planned or not, the two processions provided a very distinct contrast, a contrast that was unmistakable, a contrast between kings and kingdoms was on display that day in Rome. And although many of the common people thought they sided with Jesus, they did so for the same reason the Pharisees and others sided with Rome. They thought Jesus could do for them what Rome had done for their rulers, make their lives better, deliver them from the oppressive system under which they lived and worked, and turn the tables on the Romans. And that's why the crowd turned on Jesus at the end of the week. They didn't think that he, was, he would be able to deliver all of those things for them. In addition, he would make life even worse for them, not better. And the religious leaders, all of them who never agreed on anything, agreed that Jesus was going to attract the attention of the Roman Empire, especially during Passover. And Rome would come down fast and hard on the entire nation. So when Jesus was accused, when he was brought before Pilate, before the angry mob, they wanted to be rid of him. Jesus, in their minds, never did what they wanted him to do. He never defeated the Romans, he never dissolved the unfair tax system, he never put common people in charge of the government, and furthermore, he never would. So to appease the crowds that swelled the city of Jerusalem, Pilate had a custom of releasing a prisoner, many of whom were political prisoners. But on this last week in the life of Jesus, Pilate offered the crowd a choice between Barabbas, a known robber, and Jesus, a failed Messiah. And of course, we know that the crowd begged for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be executed. And they didn't just want him killed in any way either. They wanted him to be crucified. Because crucifixion was the one form of capital punishment that would show Rome, the Jews were completely loyal and would humiliate Jesus even in death. But I'm getting ahead of the story for this week, a story which will conclude next week. But for one moment, ask yourself, if I had been in Jerusalem that day and had seen both processions passing by, which one would I have chosen to follow? Because that's the choice that we have to make each day. We have to choose power and might or love and mercy. We have to choose the way things are normally done over the way God wants us to do them. We have to choose evil, sinful desires over what God wants for our lives. Two processions, two theologies, two choices. Which one do you choose? What kind of king do you expect? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for... um, the scripture passage this morning showing our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord coming in riding on the back of a donkey, coming in peacefully. Father, we beg for your peace right now on our nation. Allow your peace to just wash over us as we find ourselves um, being isolated, staying at home in fear. Lonely. Father, I just pray your healing over our nation, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Allow your Holy Spirit to just wash over our congregation today. Allow them to know that they are loved, they are missed, they are being prayed for. Father, we just thank you so much for our church family. And we look forward to the day that we can all be under one roof together worshiping and fellowshipping. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, any comments, questions, or concerns that have come in? Uh, A lot of people have have chosen the love and mercy option, Sandy. Okay, Sandy says she chooses love and mercy. So does Jeannie, I choose love and mercy. Good, Jeannie, good job. What about Frank, Jeannie? What does he choose? (laughs) Katie says, love, mercy, and him. Oh, Katie says, love, mercy, and Jesus. And so does my mom. Mary says that too. Um, Nancy was surprised, as I was, that there was two parades. Yes, so Nancy was surprised, as well as Jessica, that there was two parades that happened on that day. And they were on different sides of the city, and I don't know if they were simultaneously, but they both happened on that day. And uh, there's a possibility that you could have seen both of them depending on what time of day they happened: Angelique was ugly crying during worship.: Oh, Angelique was ugly crying during worship, so that I take it they could hear it then. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> We're trying to get the best quality um, sound and and image for you guys. So we had to purchase a a new camera, and we're trying things differently. So we're trying to make it um, the best worship experience for you at home. So be patient with us as we deal with some of the hiccups along the way. But yes, Barbara. I choose to believe that there is power in mercy. Yes, Barbara says she chooses to believe there is power in mercy. And there absolutely is. I mean, Jesus was the, um, the proof that there is power in gentleness and in mercy and in meekness and humbleness. I mean, he is the ultimate power. Um, you know, you, you look at the image on the screen where we have, um, you know, Pilate on his war horse surrounded by a mighty military and Jesus on the back of a donkey with, you know, families running around him. And to me, the image of Jesus on the back of a donkey is much more powerful than those Roman soldiers. So, yes, Jessica. Frank does life. Oh, good oh, job, Frank. <laughs> Sandy wants you to tap that so can, she can hear your voice. Okay, tongue. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my little tap on the floor for Sandy so she can, you know, have her little joy for the day. And then I'm going to give our benediction. I don't want to get too close to the camera, though. Here you go, Sandy. There you go. All right, may the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Love one another. And be good. And hug your children. (laughs) All right, that's it.